Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, January 22nd, 2015. It's as if the heresy hurricane season has settled down to a rolling boil. Just never know what's going to burble up to the top next. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, one of the things that Christians need to be aware of is what is the source of the problems in their life. Now, the reason I say this is because as I survey the uh, the landscape of popular preaching and teaching today, or at least what's trying to be passed off as preaching and teaching, one of the things I note is the fact that what people do is they blame their woes and their troubles on all kinds of bizarre things. Now, uh, you've heard of people praying a hedge of protection around you. Well, no joke, you know, as I was surveying things, you know, getting ready for today's program and thinking, you know, which parts I'm going to put into it, you know, you know, I, I saw a program entitled How to Break Satan's Hedge that's been put around you. And, you know, we're going to be looking at a Paula White segment today where we're going to be uh, learning how to break self-imposed curses. Did you know that apparently you can you can curse yourself? You, you not even know it, you know, and and all kinds of woe can befall you if you've uh, if you've <laughs> cursed yourself. Uh, Perry Stone has a you know a, a, a teaching on breaking self curses and things like that. And over and again, when you look at the different problems that crop up in your life, life is difficult. You'll notice that life has a t- uh, uh, this ability to throw you curveballs. And uh, throw them to you at, you know, a breakneck clip. No sooner does one curveball come in and just knock you off balance than another one comes in from a completely different direction. Same thing. And you, and you feel like, ah, you know. And, uh, you know, and so life has this ability to be difficult. Well, what is the cause of that? Is it satanic hedges? Is it self-imposed curses? Is it generational curses and things like that? No, the the answer to the issue is is that uh, the, all of this comes from sin. We live in a cursed, in a fallen world. Yeah, that's right. 
And don't think for a second. And see, that's the thing is, is that when you, oh, the self-imposed curse thing or this, you know, satanic hedges and, you know, and all these other bizarre, th- you know, teachings, you know, the, that you're, that these, you know, <laughs> charlatans, I think is the right word, have, you know, claimed that they've discovered in the Bible that all you got to do is do this thing to break that thing and break this and over you. And then you'll experience breakthrough and victory and things like that is that, um, yeah, if only it were that simple. The reality is is that there's no secret code to break. There's no hidden curse. I mean, you don't have to sit there and go back, you know, go to your, uh, your, your local library and figure out which Indian tribes lived on the land that your house currently is sitting on and then figure out what kind of magic they were into and then figure out, you know, the counter curse, you know, to the curses that they've cursed the land with and you know, stuff like that. You know, it, listen these things happen not because native americans uh, pla- practice shamanistic magic you know on the land that your property sitting on these things happen things happen to you in life well because you're not it's not because you're a victim it's because you're a sinner you sin you in yeah the reason why you're getting old and your hair's turning gray and and your muscle tone has disappeared and your body looks like you're starting to head into a you know, those years when you're going to say, yeah, the retirement home is looking like it's in my future. Well, all of this is not because of satanic hedges or things like that. It's because of sin. And each and every one of us have participated, have been a part of this, have been impacted by it. And believers still have the consequences of sin to deal with, namely, you know, their own physical mortal death now christ has overcome the grave we are in christ and jesus says those who are in him will not taste death this is the way he describes it but this does not take away from the fact that you you know the things that happen and all of the distortions the you know the earthquakes the you know the tsunamis the you know hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and all of this stuff this is the result of sin sin and you know and when people try to sell you some christian magic formula or you know principles that they've learned and an, or an amulet that you're supposed to buy that breaks satanic demonic uh you know forces and stuff like that, that that's all they're really doing is selling you something and uh yeah so we're going to we're going to kind of take a look at a few things today that uh, i would say miss the point miss the point altogether when it comes to you know what is the source of uh, of the problems that crop up in our life and the people who uh, are offering you know the, you know these insights oh the 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 bible teaches yo you're suffering from self-imposed curses or satanic hedges or you know generational curses or your property is yeah yeah they're, they're selling you something that's the problem so yeah those are some of the things that we're going to be covering today you know so this will be kind of a, a an example of adventures of missing the point you know that that's uh, from time to time we we talk about this theme that we do from time to time the adventures of missing the point and we're going to be looking at a few different things you know adventures of missing the point and uh so let's talk about what we're going to do we're going to begin with uh, a segment that uh we're going you know i i, I get the feeling we're going to be doing this type of segment many times into the future and uh, we're going to call this the this type of segment anything goes anything goes and uh, we're going to, uh, to to inaugurate the anything goes. We're going to ask the question: Is it appropriate for 
a Christian church to sing the songs of Miley Cyrus uh, during a uh, worship service? And what exactly does that function serve? Now, okay, so this is an adventure of missing the point. Um, what does the church gather to do? Do we gather to be entertained? And should we uh, have entertainment in our churches where the artist who put them together is, you know, basically on some kind of a, I would kind of put a demonic rampage. Uh, you know, Miley Cyrus is uh, doing everything she can to make herself, uh, you know, you know, the the latest and greatest X-rated, you know, pop star. You know, should we be singing her songs in church? So we'll we'll, we'll uh, take a look at that. We're going to switch gears altogether. We're going to switch gears altogether, and then we're going to uh, do a Paula White update. So we're, in fact, we're going to do uh, uh, a money grubbing televangelist update twin spin. Two things that we're going to be covering, and we're going to listen to Paula White as she's going to be teaching us how to break self-imposed curses. And then we're going to switch gears altogether, and we're going to uh, go to the Life Today television program with James Robeson and uh, listen to his interview with Creflo Dollar. Um, Yep, he recently had Creflo Dollar on his program again, and the Life Today program is the exact same program that, uh, well, uh, our good friend Beth Moore uh, does her Wednesdays in the Word segments on. And uh, this is not a safe program at all. I mean, from the Bible-twisting and direct revelation of, of Beth Moore to Christine Kane, who's become a regular feature, uh, Lisa Bevere and Creflo Dollar and other things like this. You know, and, and there, by the way, Creflo Dollar and James Robeson are going to be talking about ha- having the Holy Spirit as your financial advisor. The, yeah, the Holy Spirit is your financial advisor. Now, in all of my reading on uh, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you know, you you, you call it biblical pneumatology. Uh, yeah, new, not numerology, but pneuma, P-N-E. Yeah, pneumatology. Uh, this is the theology of the of the Spirit. I have yet <laughs> to see a decent dogmatics text or systematic theology that talks about one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is being a financial advisor. Yeah, so you, kind of the adventures of missing the point thing going on there. And uh, and then in hour number two, so you know that we, so we got uh, the uh, anything goes segment. We got Paula White still under the auspices of money grubbing televangelist. We're going to listen to Creflo Dollar's interview with uh, James Robeson. And then in hour number two, we're going to head to Willow Creek, and we're going to listen to a Bill Hybel sermon. It's been a while since we've done a Bill Hybel sermon, and the sermon we're going to be listening to is all about time management. It, <laughs> and, of course, right off the bat, you know, I'm trying to remember where are all of those biblical passages that talk about the importance of, of you know, having a day planner. And uh, keeping a calendar and things like that. So, you know, the, we're going to be, it's going to seem like we're all over the place today. But uh, in reality, we're kind of going with a theme that has to do with adventures and missing the point. And uh, each segment, you know, the, the way in which the point is missed will be a little bit different. And so uh, hopefully you can track with it and we'll see what happens. So we're going to get right to it. And uh, since we're going to begin, this, in fact, this is our inaugural our inaugural. Uh, uh, anything goes update. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to tell you, we have uh, <laughs> we have a new Max Holiday that we will be premiering today, 
And uh, so during the break, we have a brand new Max Holiday sketch that uh, I, I find it rather disturbing. But anyway, so since we're doing our uh, inaugural Anything Goes update, that requires us to, well, play our Anything Goes update music. Here we go. Yeah, anything goes. Yeah, you're familiar with that song. If you've uh, seen the Indiana Jones movies, and uh, that that's one of the songs played during the opening. I think it's played during the opening of uh, the second Indiana Jones movie. Now, so anything goes in today's uh, seeker-driven church. And I've, I've kind of already pitched the question to you, but let me reiterate this. Here's the question I have. Actually, I have questions. What is the purpose of playing, having a church's praise band cover secular songs pop songs during a worship service i'm not i just i don't understand what the purpose of that is and you kind of secondary and that is is that uh, even if you could come up with something that resembles a valid reason uh for playing a cover secular cover song during a church service what what is it appropriate for a church service to play Say the music of somebody like Madonna or Metallica or Miley Cyrus and her latest hit song entitled Wrecking Ball. So this is Miley Cyrus's Wrecking Ball. And, um, yeah, the weird thing about this is that uh, this is during a church service, uh, New Spring Church, Perry Noble. This is where Perry Noble holds court. And the uh, New Spring decided to not only perform this song, uh, you know, the praise band have them perform Wrecking Ball, but they also, well, use the jumbotrons, you know, the, the huge projection screens on either side of the stage to uh well not only show the woman who's singing the this praise song uh wrecking ball but to also project the lyrics of the song so that people at New Spring Church just like a praise song could you know sing along So you kind of get the point. And, you know, the way I understand it is that church, um, you know, that's, you know, 
when the church gathers, you know, the church is the body of Christ, the redeemed, the called out ones. I, you know, that's one way that, that, that they're described. That kind of takes the word ecclesia and breaks it into its component parts, you know, called out. Um, which that's not exactly how you should use that word, by the way. But the idea is, is that when the church gathers, what does the church gather to do? And where do they gather? Now, when I call me old fashioned, but uh, when I was a kid, you know, if you uh, showed up at church, you know, in ripped jeans and uh, and a stinky T-shirt and had B.O. and your hair wasn't combed, you were likely to uh, have your ears boxed. Yeah, you think, man, I'm really showing my age now by one of the elder older people in the church. And they might say something to the effect of you march right out of here, young man. You're not welcome in God's house looking like a slob or smelling like a buffalo or something you know something like that but the the gist of the matter is is that there was there was this concept where coming to church meant that we were to be doing you know, holy things in a place that's considered a, well a sacred space you know what i'm saying and uh, and and oftentimes people refer to their local church or to their congregation. Well, this is the Lord's house. This is the way they talk. Are they mistaken in talking that way? Is is uh, is a church just well, you know, just like any other entertainment venue? You know, like a movie theater or the local uh, you know theater stage production place or a place where the uh, local uh, <clears throat> you know one of those stadiums. Where the uh, you know the the rock stars come you know during the uh, during the summer season when they're out on tour is is I mean is that really all a you know a church is is a place like that and you know it's kind of the thing is is that if the church really is the house of God and in in a, in a sense and the, when the church gathers the church is the body of Christ they're there to do sacred things in a sacred space um, and you know such as here. God's word, you know, celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know, baptize penitent believers, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so you, when when you take that sacred space and you make it into an entertainment venue, and then you bring in songs by an artist, the the likes of which you know is Miley Cyrus, who, like I said, she's made it you know kind of the point that she's not only shed the. Uh, G-rated Hannah Montana uh, persona that she that you know many of our kids grew up watching, right? Uh, but that she's become she's trying to out Madonna, Madonna. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and you know you you and when people think of Miley Cyrus, words like twerk come to mind, right? So the question is, what is the point of performing a song like Wrecking Ball um, during a church service and is it not in one way or another missing the point of what it is the church gathers to do and where they are in time and space you, you get what i'm saying yeah so i i just kind of put it out there with the you know kind of the question marks attached to it but uh, that's our inaugural anything goes segment and of course since we're kind of working with a theme today i thought you know we better uh, keep the theme going but you know again you know i i see this as an example of you know completely missing the point of what it is the church biblically and historically has gathered to do and how it's thought in relation to the space that it's in. It's no longer sacred space. It's an entertaining space. And all entertainers are welcome, including those who are clearly diametrically opposed to God and his 
well, his laws and his gospel and Christ and the values and bearing fruit in keeping with the Spirit, you know, things like that. So, all right, moving along. Time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Don't want no loving, don't want no kissing, don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame, just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats, let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. El Dinero, wanna be a millionaire, give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of loot and whistle for wearing a green. I got that monetary itis like me, just like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can in beagle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right, that's our money-grubbing televangelist update. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be listening to, well, a... Um, hmm. A sermon, yeah, um, from the Paula White Today TV uh, program, and we'll have Paula White explain to us what this uh, message is that we're about to hear is all about, and then she'll just dive right into it. Apparently, you know, you could, you know, totally like curse yourself, you know, I I had no idea, you know, I just did not know. I mean, you know, one day you're walking along and boom, you know, you know, something happens and, you know, next thing you know, you've inadvertently cursed yourself and and so from that point on i mean you know terrible things just continue to happen but and you're thinking what has happened to my life why are things as complicated why are all these things happening to me well thankfully paula white has discovered that you can actually curse yourself and is going to teach us how we can break those self-imposed curses Mm -hmm. here's paula white to explain Welcome to Paula today. Are you ready for your freedom to break every ungodly soul tie? Yeah, break every ungodly soul tie. All of them, man. Yeah. Placed embargoes, curses that have been self-imposed. Embargoes and self-imposed curses on my life? Really? Get into the word today, and I'm going to share with you how you can get free from everything that has you tied up. All right. So, I mean, did you know that you can, like, have a self-imposed embargo on your life, you know? You think about you know how we impose sanctions as the United States, you know, on Cuba, maybe in Iran and stuff like that. Did you know that you could like easily accidentally have a self-imposed embargo and you know and sanctions on your own life? So I mean, maybe the reason why you're not a millionaire already is because of self-imposed curse and embargo. You know. So <laughs> here we go. to 3rd John 2. I believe today is really one of those pivotal teachings that is, is, is life changing. And it's one of those things that I want you to really get in your spirit because it's going to impact every single one of us. And if we take this home and really begin to apply the word of God, it, it transforms us because I see you free. I see you whole. I see you as everything that God has called you to be. That you succeed in your divine eternal destiny. That you have nothing missing 
missing nothing broken. And I, I believe that God has great things for you. So third John two, it says what? Let's read it loud. It says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou would prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. So what does God say? He says, you would you, you notice the technique here. Third John verse two. And I do believe she was reading from the King James. <clears throat> Let's read Third John. You know, it's not all that long. It's 15 total verses. So, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, if you're going to mention Third John, you might as well, you know, take a look at the whole thing. You know, so let's take a look at what's going on here. Uh, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, that's verse 2 right there. This sounds like kind of a standard greeting, doesn't it sound? I mean, sound like something you'd say, hey, you know, pray things are going well for you. Pray that you're in good health. It, it, this isn't a promise that, that you're going to have divine health and wealth. It's just this is John writing and saying, hey, I, I hope everything is well with you. I hope you hope you're healthy. You know, help your souls. You know, things are going well with your soul. But you'll notice she was reading it from the King James because when the King James you know, translate it, translates this. Well, it says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Aha. Uh-huh. See, that's the thing, right? Right. Well, let's keep reading for. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. Uh, uh, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Oh, so there's this idea that John is rejoicing because they're walking in the truth. And you notice that he's far more excited about that than the kind of standard greeting. Hope things are going well with you. Hope you're healthy and, you know, stuff like that. You know, that's just how you talk to people. But here he's saying, you know, I have no greater joy than to hear that his, my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your effort for those brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Notice, accepting nothing, that would be money. Uh, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Ah, so we need to financially support those guys who are going out and proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles, doing it for free. We need to you know, help them so that we can be fellow workers with them for the truth, John says in verse 8. I have written something to the church, but uh, Diostrophus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So you'll notice that John here has a detractor, a hater, if you would. I think that's the way they're described nowadays by all the seeker-driven guys, a guy who didn't acknowledge his authority as apostle. So he says, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Uh, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and uh, from the truth itself. We also add our testimony to you, uh, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face-to-face. Peace be with you. Uh, The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So there it is. All of 3 John took, what, two, three minutes to read, right? But uh, you'll notice that uh, what Paula White White here is doing, just keying in on that verse 2 from the King James Version, which uses the word prosper 
When you read it in a standard, you know, uh, modern translation, you can see what's going on. It's just, hey, I hope everything's going well with you. That's what John is saying. Would prosper. Now let's break down that word. It means to succeed in reaching. So I want everybody to get your reach on. Come on, let's get our hand, which is our power. You're reaching. What are you reaching for? Reach for your dream. Reach for your destiny. Yeah. So she's claiming that the word prosper means you know to reach your you know whatever. Um. Yeah. You uh, adao is the uh, the Greek word there, and well, here's uh, bdag said uh, you know best Greek lexicon out there. It just says um, it has the sense of have things turn out well, to prosper or to succeed is what it means. So this thing that she's doing is she's not paying attention to how the word is used in its context, and in its context, it's not talking about you know succeed in reaching that's not what it's talking about at all it it it, instead again john here is basically saying i'm hoping that all things are well with you hope you're healthy hope things are going well it's a greeting a kind of nice greeting but there's no promise that hear this text because the greek word supposedly means succeed in reaching that that i hope that you may prosper that you may succeed in reaching your dreams your destiny and all that kind of nonsense Reaching for your purpose, reaching for healthy relationships, reaching for a good marriage, your children, salvation, come on, your prosperity, your financial provision, your healing, your health. I want you to reach. Come on, reach means extend beyond. I want you to go for what God says. So the doctor might say sick, but you're healed in the name of Jesus. You might not have um, the finances you need to pay that college tuition, but God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, God says, when you reach, I slap success on it. So this is the prayer. <laughs> what? So third John verse two, basically the, what was really going on there is God is saying, when you reach, you know, I'm going to slap success into your hands. Really? The apostle is saying, beloved, that's us. I wish above all things that thou would prosper, succeed in your reach. So reach for it. I want you to see it because if you see it. Again, when you put it in context, that's not what John is saying at all. You're pulling a fast one here. You want to succeed and you're reaching for their wallets. Receive it. If you see it, you can, you can believe it. So he says, and being good health, and that word means to be whole, nothing missing, nothing broken, to be safe and to be sound, to be secure, to be sound in doctrine. So in your reach, God says, I did. Yeah, she says be sound in doctrine, and yet she's the epitome of what it means to not be sound in doctrine. Success. Grab the person's hand next to you. Spirit of the living God, do what only you can do, not by might and not by power, but by your spirit, saturate from center to circumference, that we have an ear to hear what thus saith the spirit, that, that I command right now, that the word of God will go forth with clarity and precision, that we would have an openness, that revelation would descend upon us, and that there would be true transformation. Yeah, you praying that the word of God would go forth with clarity and precision, and yet it hasn't even come close to doing that. It's already gone out twisted. Let us stand firm in the word of God and see our life change. Let angels show up today. Let the sick be healed. Let the bound be set free. Let the lost be saved. I give you all the praise for doing what only you can do. I yield myself and surrender to you. I stand as the oracle of the most high God, and I decree that every word does not fall on deaf ears. You stand as the oracle. (laughs) 
is fruitful and productive to bring forth a full harvest in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Go ahead and slap your neighbor. Say, You're getting loose. Say, You're prosperous in Jesus' name. We, we've been talking about a series on all tied up. And most of that, we have dealt with ungodly soul ties. Um, but there are many things that get us tied up. And today we're going to focus on how we break self imposed curses. Uh-huh. Now here comes the meat of the teaching. Oh, the self imposed curse. Yeah. See, the reason why you're not already a millionaire and you haven't prospered, you know, because you're, you're reaching so that you can have God slap success into your hand um, is because, well, you know, you got a self-imposed curse that's blocking you, dude. Bargos, things that keep us tied up because of self-imposed curses. Now, we looked at John chapter 11, and go there briefly with me. We found out that Lazarus came forth. He was called by Jesus to come from the dead. Now, resurrection life comes from Christ. Yeah, <laughs> Lazarus truly was called forth from the dead by Jesus himself. This is true. Whether it's physical or spiritual, emotional death, you have to know the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Emotional death. Uh-huh. Yeah, you'll notice that uh, Lazarus was physically dead and uh, he was physically made alive. In us, he'll raise and resurrect dead things in your life. That- <laughs> this is so bad. Why is it that millions of people listen to this woman? Yeah, just because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead doesn't mean he's going to you know, call to life the dead things in your life. Yeah, because the, the real hope there is that he's going to actually call you to life on the day of the resurrection. His part in verse 43, when Jesus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, and he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. So we discovered that you can come forth. You can be born again and in, in proper spiritual alignment with God, but still be bound in your soul. We- <laughs> No, 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 no. Oh, this is horrible. <laughs> so, so you could be raised from the grave spiritually, but you're still bound up in, you know, in, in your soul, you know, because Lazarus, when he came forward, <laughs> he still had his grave clothes on him. So, oh, man, why aren't they pelting this woman with rotten tomatoes? Really? We are a spirit, we are a soul, and we are a body. And so we're dealing with those issues that keep us bound. We're going to break them by the blood of Jesus. We found there are several causes that cause us to be tied up. Yeah, so what are the causes that cause us to be all tied up? Words, works of the flesh, unforgiveness, Uh written ordinances and judgments, curses, soul ties, oaths, vows, wrong agreements, bloodline. Oh, man, that's quite a list. I mean, words, works of the flesh, unforgiveness, written ordinances. Don't know what that is. Curses, soul ties, oaths, wrong agreements, bloodlines. See, these are the things that are keeping you from prospering, you know, reaching and, and having, you know, God slap success into your hand. So, you know, the, you came out of your grave all bound up just like Lazarus did. And it's, it's, it could be any one of these things that are keeping you tied up and, you know, from, and keeping you from experiencing, you know, prosperity. So you just got to learn how to, uh, you know, break these things, right? 
Um, when someone dies, idolatry, transactions. And today our focus is going to be on word curses. You ready? Look at somebody. Say, you're about to get free. Say, buckle in. Word curses. Really? Hold on. So, so today we're going to deal with how to break word curses in soulish talk and soulish prayer. So example, a husband says to his wife, I'm sick of the way that you serve these meals. And he just says it casually. I'm sick of the way. And suddenly, you know, he begins to get indigestion. He's sick all the time. Um, something's. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. So let, let's, let's kind of put this into a different context. Okay. If any of you have ever been disciplined by a parent, now I, it's been a while since I've been disciplined by my parents and, uh, that's cause I grew up and, you know, left the house. But when I was growing up, you know, my mom would say things like, I am sick and tired and just fill in the blank. You know, it'd be, I'm sick and tired of the fact that your room is just looking like a pigsty. And she would just lay into me. And then of course I'd get grounded or something like that. Or I'm just sick and tired of the way you sass me or the way you da da da. So, well, little did I know that when my mom was saying I'm sick and tired, she was creating a word curse for herself. You know, and so so no sooner did she say I'm sick and tired where she went, "Whoa, man, I Whew, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I need to lay down. I'm so tired. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> this is not what Bible teaches. Oh, my goodness. This is ridiculous. On in his body and, and doesn't, un- and there's no medical explanation. There's no medical reason, but he's always sick. Yeah, because he, he, he b- imposed a curse, a word curse on himself spoken a self-imposed curse on himself until someone breaks that or until he breaks that he'll deal with the consequence and i'm just giving you a very very small example i'm going to take you through the word on this yeah so this this sounds like um magic this doesn't sound like anything to do with scripture yeah, and if uh, how she twisted the scripture at the beginning of the uh, <clears throat> this message is any indicator of what's going to follow, and we're we're going to kind of leave it off there because we're running out of time. But you kind of get the idea. But see, why is it that things happen poorly in your life? Is, is it because you were foolish enough to say I'm sick and tired, and oh, I'm just sick and tired of this, and whatever, and all of a sudden you now you're not well because you had a word curse, you know, that you've you know imposed on yourself, and you got to learn how to break that that thing. No, no, no. These are all the consequences of sin. And uh, in, yeah, it's not like the Bible teaches, you know, hey, be careful. Don't accidentally curse yourself by saying things like that. This is not a biblical teaching. This is just total, utter nonsense. And, uh, and it's just sad that, this, that you know, how many millions of people look to Paula White and think this woman is a woman of God who rightly handles God's word and is teaching and what Scripture really teaches when in fact they're not learning anything whatsoever about what God's word truly says or means because she twists it like nobody's business. All right, we are going to go to our first break in just a second, and I need to remind you, in the break, we have a brand new Max Holiday sketch that we're going to be playing. It's entitled 
Dumb It Down. Dumb It Down. And uh, might leave you scratching your head, but I, I think you'll kind of get the idea as we get into it. So we're going to go to our break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at fire Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to end off hour number one with a Creflo dollar on uh, Life Today uh, uh, update. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Living a life of purpose can't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Could be pastors? No, 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 no. Pastors. 
asterisk is already in the dictionary. We can chalk that up as a victory. Maybe we should tell everyone that they're still under the Mosaic Law. And that they must obey kosher laws. And that they must not celebrate Christmas and be Torah observant. Too Jewish. Come on, you worthless maggots. We've already done all these before. We need to be more creative. And by that, I mean less creative. How about swingers for Jesus? We've already done that one, you idiots. What about portals? Who, who said that? Uh, I did. Well, speak up, worm. What about heavenly portals above Jerusalem? This sounds eerily like the tithing gnome, and he wasn't that popular. No, 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 you wretchedness. These are portals only above Jerusalem, and heavenly blessings fall out of them on the passersby. And, and, and you'll need a map to find them. And where exactly will they procure this map? It'll come free with every purchase of a Microsoft Zoom. Silence, you imbeciles! They stopped making those years ago. Even the pet rock had better features, and that's bad. Even by our standards. That just sounds terrible. Why would anybody go for that? Who's next? Uh, There's a sound membrane. A sound membrane in the sky. Uh, That is bulging. And and it's starting to leak. You had my curiosity, but now you have my attention. Uh, That's it, Richardness. That's all I got. Sorry. Well, that's by far the worst idea I've heard yet. And I'm satisfied. I'll just run these notes down the chain of command. Meeting is adjourned! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about the Bowflex Max Trainer. Now, if you're like me and you want to stay fit and you want to exercise and keep active, uh, but you don't have hours to dedicate going to the gym, well, consider the Bowflex Max Trainer. I've been able to use this piece of equipment over the last nine weeks, and I've been consistently able to lose a pound a week on the Bowflex Max Trainer. And some days I was only able to exercise for 14 minutes. Yeah, that's right. There's a 14-minute workout on this thing that will leave you dripping with sweat. It uses uh, interval training to kind of boost your metabolism up, and the afterburn effect on this thing is actually quite amazing. So if you'd like more information about the Bowflex Max Trainer, visit fightingforthefaith.com, and along the side, you'll see an advertisement for the Bowflex there on our website. Click on that, head on over to the Bowflex site, and check out the information regarding the Bowflex Max Trainer trainer. It has been a fantastic piece of equipment for me, and I'm hoping that if you're looking for a piece of equipment that will work for you and you have limited time, this will help meet those needs. Again, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the Bowflex ad and get your Max Trainer today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to understand how 
today's popular teachers get you off topic and are totally missing the point of Scripture. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. That's right. It's a partnership. You know, you help us keep doing what we're doing so that we can help warn the church about the false teachers, Bible twisters, and those who are making merchandise of them. And the way you do that, uh, visit our uh, website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons there. There's two of them. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95. That's it. Every month, the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so. Click on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, Zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support, because we can't do what we're doing here without it. All right, we're still under the auspices of money-grubbing tele-evangelists, and one of the kings of the money-grubbing tele-evangelists is Creflo Dollar. And yet, uh, the uh, James Robeson of the Life Today television program is good friends with... Uh, Creflo Dollar, and this is the same television program where Beth Moore does her Wednesdays in the Word segment. Hmm, should tell you something about uh, James Robeson's biblical discernment. Uh, and they're going to be discussing uh, Creflo Dollar's latest book about how to make the Holy Spirit your financial advisor. So without any further ado, here is James Robeson and Creflo Dollar. Here we go. today. We're thrilled to have Creflo Dollar with us at World Changers Ministry and Church. And I'm telling you, it's Atlanta and it's in uh, uh, New York and it's here now. And we got some folks in the Dallas Fort Metroplex here, right? Going to one of Creflo Dollar's So Creflo Dollar has a multi-site in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. It's like Dallas-Fort Worth is becoming a, <clears throat> a hotbed for heresy. There's a book that he's written that is a part of this series, and the title of this book is The Holy Spirit, Your Financial Advisor. My financial advisor, the, the Holy Spirit. I had no idea that God the Holy Spirit in Scripture has promised to be my financial advisor. How are you going to manage money? Look at this series that he's joined our pastor, Robert Morris at Gateway, and Jimmy Evans, who teaches on marriage and family so effectively all over the world teaching on financial freedom, your path to it, the best and blessed principles for money matters because it does matter. It matters to God. It should matter to you. What you do with it should matter. Welcome Creflo Dollar to Life Today. Creflo Dollar. We are, we are, we are family, we are brothers, we are co-laborers, and we're out in the harvest field, and yes. I'm, I'm so glad to have you. You know how much we appreciate you. Yeah, you, Creflo Dollar truly is out in the harvest field, but he's not trying to harvest souls. He's trying to harvest the money in their wallets. How much we love you. Thank you for what you have shared, because you have blessed. I had my son-in-law with me today. And a, a kid that grew up from the time he was six with me, Jimmy James, and he's got a beautiful family. And both of them were telling me how much you have blessed him. And they've even said, because they've loved you a long time like me, they say he's, he's actually shifted. It's like he's going into another realm of God doing something. Do you feel like he's doing something fresh in, in your life, even though you've been preaching a while? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
What kind of question is that to ask Creflo Dollar? I mean, if I had the opportunity to ask Creflo Dollar a question on television, it would be, how come you twist God's word and, uh, and fleece people and teach for shameful gain things that you ought not to teach? But apparently James Robeson thinks the guy is totally legit. And, and hey, do you feel like God's doing something fresh in your life? I mean, one of the things that I'm learning is what real prosperity is all about. Um, you know, when most people hear the word prosperity, they immediately think money. Money. <laughs> yeah, it, but see, that's the thing. You, you, you're learning what prosperity is all about because you have a lot of money. Lots and lots and lots of money. You got like a pri- private jet or two. And uh, you've, don't you have like a really nice pad up in you know, New York City and you know, things like that? Yeah, materials. They're not incorrect, but they are incomplete. Because when you talk about uh, prosperity, you're talking about prospering in your spirit. That's born again. Prospering in your soul. That's renewing your mind. Prospering in your physical body. That's health. Prospering in your marriage, that's peace, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and joy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, and so when we, when we look at prosperity, we're talking about prospering and being successful in every arena of life. But it's measured in, uh, you know, most people measure prosperity by what they have done, what they have accomplished, and what they have accumulated. But it's measured by the degree of the Holy Spirit that you will allow to operate in your life. Uh, uh, Joseph. The uh, degree of the amount of the, the Holy Spirit working in your life. What does that mean exactly? Where is that taught in Scripture that, you know, prosperity is somehow you know, based upon the degree, the amount of which you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Because, you know, there's there's the book all about the Holy Spirit becoming your financial advisor, and there and now he's talking about like all you know all prosperity. It's oh, yeah, people think about material things, but they, yeah, they're not wrong. You know that it, it's that. Oh, and it's so much more, and health, and you know, and you know, all these other things. Prosper in your soul, and no fighting and arguing in your marriage. It's like people are going, what do I got to do to get that? And so now the first thing is dropped. Well, yeah, see ya. If you really want to prosper, well, you can only prosper to the degree to which you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Really? So this is based upon my obedience, right? So, yeah, this kind of comes to, um, you know, kind of an issue. We're going to talk about biblical pneumatology, a good, sound doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Is he giving us good pneumatology? Is he giving us a sound, biblical, exegetical look at what Scripture reveals regarding the work, person and work of God, the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Holy Trinity? Um, yeah, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Let me read to you a, a section from Scripture. This is red letter stuff. Um, this is Jesus talking, and he says this about the... Um, the Holy Spirit. I'll start at verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that would be the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So we can talk, you know, if you want to distill this down, one of the primary things that God the Holy Spirit does 
is he convicts us of sin and unbelief. And why is that an important thing? Because, well, the message of Christianity is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins comes by faith in what Christ has done for us because he has gone to the cross bearing our sins on him. It says in Isaiah 53 that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we're called to call sinners everywhere. That's you and me included. To repent and to believe and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so where the Holy Spirit is working, you can tell the Holy Spirit is working, where people's sins are convicted, where they are convicted regarding their unbelief, their sinfulness, and their being called to trust in Jesus. I think a good way to describe the work of the Holy Spirit, and this is not something I came up with, but I've heard many people talk about this, that you'll see that over and again the Holy Spirit doesn't point people to himself. The Holy Spirit instead is like the best PR guy out there for Jesus. He points people to Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. And, you know, and that's really what the Holy Spirit does. And you think about it this way, all scripture is God breathed. And so when, you know, when a preacher rightly handles God's word and gives a living voice to the word of God, the spirit is working, working to convict people of sin and unbelief calling them to repent, to be forgiven. And since all of Scripture is about Jesus, this is the way Jesus talks about it, and you, know, you can say that the Holy Spirit over thousands of years inspired the different authors of, of Holy Writ to tell us about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here we've got this weird statement being made by Creflo Dollar. Oh, well, it's all about prosperity. And you say, God wants you to prosper, right? You, you want to have a prosperous marriage, a prosperous soul, financial, material prosperity. Well, you're only going to have that to the degree to which you whatever to the Holy Spirit. What text says that our prosperity in things is dependent upon yielding to the Holy Spirit in things in our life? That's a works-based system. He was a prosperous man, though a slave, because the Lord was with him. Mm-hmm. So it's the presence of the Lord working in your life that will be responsible for the success and the prosperity you experience. It's something by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just allow the Holy Spirit so you can be prosperous, dude. Him the opportunity to minister to you, to lead you, to guide you. And you begin to discover how much God loves to be needed. And when you go before God and you say, you know what? Yeah, but see, the thing is that we need God. See, the thing is that repentance is recognizing your own proclivity towards self-sufficiency when you are a creature and you need your creator. I can't do this by myself. I need you. Then he's prepared. when, 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 When he created this whole thing. He, he looked at everything from the beginning to the end, and his foreknowledge already knew what was going to happen, and he began to plan for all of the things that would happen. That's why I say don't get upset with the drama that comes in your life. God's already got an answer to it if you'll trust him. Mm-hmm. And so in this life, you're, you're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to decide whether or not I am going to live my life depending on my own self-effort and deserved favor, or am I going to live my life? De- yeah, you just said you say that. I am, am I deserved favor? You know, it, you know, kind of self righteousness. But you just talked about, oh, you're only going to have success to the degree to which you yield to the Holy Spirit. That's obedience. That's earned favor. Depending on 
uh, this unmerited favor of God and the blessings of God. Yeah, so you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. So we're going to talk about uh, unmerited favor of God and all of the material things he's going to give you. Every successful endeavor that we've ever experienced in our life, it was never because of you. It has always been because of God. So, yeah. So notice, it's not salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. It's success by unmerited favor and grace. Huh. Is success salvation? Always. He, he doesn't call qualified people, James. No. He, he got calls me the bottom of the barrel. What, me too? Well, I was under the bottom of the barrel that you got you from up. I understand. We were racing. Yes, sir. And, and what he does, he doesn't call qualified people. He qualifies everybody he calls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you'll notice here, again, this is kind of a tricky one. You know, adventures and missing the point. He's changed one tiny little thing. When we talk about salvation by grace alone through faith alone by what christ has done for us okay i'll give you a passage ephesians chapter 2 8 9 and 10 y'all have heard this before for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast now what's the thing that's the gift of god salvation right And it's by grace through faith that you receive it, God's unmerited favor. But here Creflo Dollar isn't talking about salvation. Nope. He's talking about temporal salvation known as success, prosperity, health, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so he's using the themes of salvation, of the themes of salvation by grace through faith, but it's not salvation by grace. It's success by grace. Big difference. Just a little bit of a tweak. You know, and, and you're sitting there going, this sounds biblical. It sounds right. And yet he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth because earlier he talked about, well, you can only experience the degree of success as you yield to the work of the Spirit. That's earned. So we have to trust him. And we, the, the real issue is learning how to trust what he's already done. Wow. And and one of the things that I am I am so aware of right now is that uh, this grace that Jesus has come to give us. Uh, the Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus. And it also makes it very clear that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. So, you know, you didn't get healed the day the doctor told you you were sick. Jesus healed you 2,000 years ago. You didn't get delivered the day you found out you were in bondage. He took care of that 2,000 years ago. And you didn't prosper uh, or, or, or come into abundance the day you found out you had lack. He did it 2,000 years ago. So notice what he's doing here. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus' death on the cross is to make it so that you're experiencing temporal health and healing, temporal wealth, Right. And prosperity. And these, this is all what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. And you sit there and go, wait a second, something's kind of squirrely here. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this, you know, we talk about penal substitutionary atonement, but the, his view of the atonement, oh, it's, yeah, it's, oh, that Christ died so that you can be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. And talk about missing the point of what the atonement's about. Now, granted, in the eschaton, we will have perfect health, new glorified resurrected bodies, no sin, no death, no disease, none of that. 
right? So you can say, yeah, that is a factor in Christ's atoning work, but we don't have that now. Instead, we still will die because we're sinners. We and and by the way, if you buy into this view of the atonement that God in the atonement that Christ has done is in ensuring that you, if you apply the right faith, you're going to have health and wealth here and now. When you don't have it, whose fault is it then? Well, you, because you didn't have enough faith. And see, here's the thing. This is not what's promised in the atonement in the here and the now. In fact, you know, you can be poor and a Christian. You can be wealthy and a Christian. And Jesus warns over and over again about the snares of wealth. That's right. And, you know, and the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we've got a problem here. And this is, you know, again, it's 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 just missing the point just enough that we've got uh, a major problem. It's not like everything he's saying isn't true, but the way he's he's applying this truth is off and missing the point and making turning uh, you know the atonement into offering promises regarding temporal health and prosperity which it doesn't promise what i've got to do is to believe in the finished works of jesus christ see i've got to believe see i've got to have the faith so that i can be healed your faith now is becoming a work and trust that it's done so that i won't find myself working for victory but I'll find myself working from victory. That he won. Yeah. I won't work for prosperity, but I'll be working from prosperity. I'm not the sick trying to get healed. I'm the healed protecting my health from sickness and disease that's trying to attack it. And that's the word of faith, prosperity, heresy in a nutshell. Again, just off enough, missing the whole point and making turning the atonement into giving promises in the here and the now that it does not promise. Jesus basically makes it clear this side of his return, the thing we can expect is persecution and suffering. And this prosperity heresy basically makes it so, well, yeah, the reason why those poor Christians living in third world nations are in abject poverty is because they just haven't learned the, how to work, you know, to basically claim the healing that they already have and then you know work out from you know from health and protect that and work out from prosperity and protect that this is an utter mythology built upon a tweak that misses the point that turns the atonement into something that's promising temporal health wealth and other things when it's really promising reconciliation with God and the forgiveness of sins and a resurrected body and a new life. Let me give you uh, just what I would consider to be kind of the epitome of what it means here for us as Christians, you know, regarding walking by faith. Does it promise eternal health and wealth? No, it doesn't. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. For by faith the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Notice verse 10. He's looking for what? He's looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All these died in faith, not having received the things promised. Did you see that? Verse 13, all of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they have been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Yep, that's right. So Hebrews 11 makes it clear that our hope is not in the here and the now. It's in the city whose foundation is built by God the one that's going to be revealed on the last day, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down from heaven to earth and when God makes his dwelling among men on the new earth. That's what we're looking forward to. Then we will never have lack again. In fact, the streets will be paved with gold. What? How can anybody claim that they are poor? There will be no sin, no sickness, no disease. And as Hebrews says, all of these people that it mentions, they all died in faith not having received the things promised because the things that were promised were not in the here and the now, but in the coming future, the true promised land, which is coming, the new heavens and the new earth. So what Creflo Dollar is doing is, well, making a dollar, twisting God's word and teaching for shameful gain things that he ought not to teach. And unfortunately, he's got an accomplice, and that's uh, James Robeson of the Life Today television program, who also features the teaching of Beth Moore. And has Beth Moore spoken out against the prosperity heresy taught by Creflo Dollar and embraced by James Robeson? No, if she were to do that, she'd lose her teaching spot, wouldn't she? Yeah, all this is something that you need to consider and to think about. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, and follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A sermon from Willow Creek, Bill Hybels, talking about time management. Apparently, this is going to make you really holy in the year 2015. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) 
You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. It has been a long time since we have done a Willow Creek sermon review. Wait till you hear the name of this sermon. But we got to do this right. it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Willow Creek Community Church, uh, South Barrington, Illinois, out there in greater Chicago land area. The name of the sermon, The Power of Your Schedule. Like, what is he doing here? Is this a Franklin Covey time management seminar masquerading as a sermon? Well, we're going to find out, so... Let me go ahead and back off the music here, and uh, without any further ado, here is Bill Hybels and his sermon <laughs> entitled The Power of Your Schedule. Here we go. Like most of you, I suspect, I would like 2015 to be the most God-glorifying year of my life. Okay. I want it to be God-first this year. I don't want it to be a Bill-first year. I want to move his purposes ahead in this world and not just get caught up in my own petty purposes. I want to grow in my faith. Now, if you want to move God's purposes forward, don't you think your job should be to preach the word and proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins? Call the sinners at Willow Creek to repent and trust in Christ for their forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation with God the Father. I I think that would count as like, you know, the purposes of God for a pastor, don't you? This year and not regress even a little bit. I want my spiritual gifts and talents to develop and not atrophy. I want my worship to be more heartfelt and pleasing to God. Than- I want, I want, I want. Now, this, the list sounds like a decent, pious sounding list, but we've got some problems here. This year, not just lip service to Him. I would like the totality of my life to honor and glorify God in 2015. And I think probably most of you do too, or you wouldn't be here. And what I'm holding in my hand right now is perhaps the single most important tool other than the Bible. The single most important tool other than the Bible? Uh Uh-oh. 
that will help me live out the lofty aspirations that I just espoused to you. So this other tool is, well, it's filled with the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, and is a means of God's grace for sanctifying us? Gang, this is my 2015 calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all calendars are God-breathed and are profitable for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may, in his schedule, may be fully equipped for every good work. Yeah, I don't think so. My 2015 calendar. Now, for all of you who are under 35, I just want to say, I want to show you, this is what a paper calendar looks like. (laughs) And uh, you can still buy them at souvenir shops in downtown Chicago. Uh, I buy them by the case in case they ever, you know, stop being printed. But whether you keep your personal schedule on your iPhone, your iPad, or on the front of your refrigerator, I want you to know that your personal schedule can be an incredibly powerful tool. Mm, Yeah, just not powerful in the sense that God the Holy Spirit is using that as a means for sanctifying us. In your life. A few years ago, I did my first and only teaching ever about the power of a personal schedule. I introduced you to this concept. Did you introduce us to a concept found in the written word of God without twisting God's word or ripping a verse out of context? Which says, my schedule should be far less about what I have to get done. It's not just a to-do list. My schedule should be far less about what I have to get done than who I want to become. Uh-huh. Which verse says that? That's where the power lies. If a, how, how is that where the power lies? The schedule is about who you want to become. After, and where does God's word say that? After that message I gave two years ago, hundreds of you contacted me saying, I've never thought about my schedule that way before. Whenever Jan- Probably because the Bible nowhere talks about a schedule that way. January rolls around, and I'm thinking about uh, putting a new schedule together. All I do is list out all my have-tos. I plug them into a workable slot on my calendar, cross my fingers, and hope for the best. You admit it's only about getting things done. It has no bearing whatsoever, you were telling me uh, after that last message, on who you're trying to become. I tried to get back to as many of you as possible to say, look, I get it. That's all that my schedule meant to me for the first third of my life. It was simply a grocery list of all the stuff I had to do with dates on it. That's all it was. And then in my late 20s, I discovered something very, very powerful. That a personal calendar or schedule could actually become a powerful tool that God could use to help me become a different and better person over the course of the new year. Not the gospel, not the preached word. A personal schedule. I discovered that each January, when I sit down to craft a new schedule, it's almost like I'm writing a possible script for who I'm going to turn out to be over the course of that coming year. In fact, I got so convinced of this, I wrote this in my journal a long time ago. The thoughtful, prayerful recrafting of a personal schedule can be one of the holiest endeavors I can put my hands to doing. Now, here's a question I have. Is the reason why you have bad character and you need to work on your character, 
Is is that due to the fact that you don't have a powerful schedule or keep a calendar? No, it's because you have a sinful nature. Oh, man. I mean, this is unbelievable. So talk about missing the point. So notice it's, it's listen, God's not working through, you know, the word, apparently. He's working through a schedule. He's working through a calendar, man. Now it, 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 the calendar has the power to somehow overcome and mortify your sinful flesh. Yeah, I don't think so. When you take Holy Communion, that's holy. When you worship God, I mean, it's holy ground, right? Yeah. I'm saying if you were to sit down and thoughtfully and prayerfully recraft your personal schedule for 2015. Yeah, notice now a personal schedule is holy just like the Lord's Supper, communion. Really. So he's literally exalted a personal schedule up to the category of a means of grace. It may well be one of the holiest endeavors you can put your hand to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, which biblical text says that my schedule is, a, is something that will make me holy? Now, some of you think I'm exaggerating, but I'm going to build my case for as long as it takes. Let's ground our thinking first in God's word. Apostle Paul one time stands in front of a, a group of freshly redeemed people and listen to his coaching in Ephesians 5. He goes, be very careful how you live now. Remember that word, now. I'll come back to it. Remember how you live now, uh, wisely, not unwisely. Redeeming the time because we live in evil days. Therefore, don't waste your time in foolish living. Find out what God's will is and start doing it. Okay, let's take a look at a good translation. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 1 because I want you to see what's going on here. Listen, the back end of Ephesians cannot be understand uh, understood apart from the front end of Ephesians. Ephesians 1, 2, 3. I mean, this is all salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. We are saved by grace, Paul teaches us. So the idea then is, is that we don't do good works in order to be justified before God, okay? Um, that would turn our sanctification into our justification. We do good works because we are justified, because we are new creations in Christ, because God has raised us from the dead. So the verse, a chapter, Ephesians 5, verse 1, starts with, Therefore, be imitators of God. Why? Because we are... We are in Christ. That's kind of the the major theme, or one of the major themes in the book of Ephesians. If you go through the book of Ephesians, just make a little notation as to how many times you see the, the words in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, and you are in Christ because God has made you alive in Christ. So therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. And that's kind of an important thing here. It's not time as in chronos time. That's kairos. That's making the best use of the season, the age that you were in. This is not talking about time management, chronos. So making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not let do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah, so Ephesians 5 uh, verse 15 is not a time management No, it's not a time management verse at all. And what's being discussed there is the season, the age, the era that we find ourselves in. And the days of this era, this season, are evil. And that's why it uses the word kairos rather than chronos. And so what Bill Hybels is doing here is he's reading from a paraphrase he is almost in uh, i would say this is intentional in order to make you know cuz by going to a paraphrase he can make this verse about time management and schedule keeping and things like that but that's not what this passage is about and so he's doing the exact opposite of what a pastor should be doing a, pa- a pastor should be looking very carefully at the greek text be familiar with what the you know is going on in in the original languages of the text that he's preaching and teaching on so that he can rightly handle god's word and get the right and correct sense of it he's taken some bizarre paraphrase here and turning and basically making this text something you know talk 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 about something that it actually doesn't talk about. This is a huge problem. Last week, our teaching pastor, Steve Carter, uh, put thoughtfully uh, these two words on the flip chart. This, this is the value system of the world. This is the value system of the kingdom of heaven, God's value system. And what happens as the apostle Paul is teaching in this passage I just referred to is he says, as you're growing up and moving along in the value system of the world, you're going to think of your time and your energy the way the world thinks about time and energy. You'll become sort of a victim of the value system of the world. But remember the word now? The apostle Paul says, but now... He was talking to people who had just become Christians. He goes like, now you're not really citizens 
of this world anymore, as Steve was teaching last week. Now you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You live in a new reality that has a totally different value system. And what Paul is saying here is, one of the new values that you have to think about is the value of time. He says, no more squandering it, no more... Yeah, that's not what Paul is saying here. This is not about time management. Frittering it away. Don't spend time in foolish living. Because in the kingdom of heaven, time really matters. Time is in limited supply, if you think about it. You only have from this day till your final day to do something with your time. And so he says, I want you to redeem the time. I want you to find God's will and devote yourself to it. Because we're living in evil days. And we don't have enough time to waste in foolish living. With the Apostle Paul and with Jesus, there is almost always an urgency connected to a Christ follower's Time. It's as though both Paul and Jesus are saying, if we're ever going to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth, if we're ever going to push back the kingdom of darkness... Whoa, 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 whoa. If we're ever going to establish the kingdom of heaven here on earth... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, this shouldn't surprise you, by the way. Bill Hybels is a communitarian. Uh-huh. Yeah, did you catch that? We are to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. That is not it at all. Christ will establish his kingdom here on earth on the day when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Whoa. Darkness and advance the purposes of light and peace and justice and righteousness in this world. It's going to take the time of Christ followers, they're going to have to take significant amounts of their time, redeem it, and invest it in advancing the purposes of God in this world. Wow. Notice he's not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. No, 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 no. You've got to make the best of the time so that you can establish the kingdom of God here on earth. Yikes. Now, I want to hit the pause button right there, and for a few moments, I want to help you reflect on how crazy powerful a well-crafted schedule can be crazy powerful so about as powerful as the lord's supper apparently so you take here's an empty schedule monday through sunday think about it a guy i grew up with only had two interests in high school and college the whole way through sports and girls now, almost all the guys in the place right now are saying, well, what else was there in high school and college? There were some other things. But he never took his studies seriously, barely graduated from college, wound up very unhappy in his entry-level jobs for about a decade after college. Then one day he sees an ad for an accounting class, and he had been sort of good at math. And he sees this ad for an accounting class at a local college. And he decides that he's going to take one night class per week for as long as it takes for him to get his accounting degree. It took him several years. Upon earning that degree, he was offered a terrific job at a fantastic company where he had an extremely fulfilling and well-paying career. And you might say it actually changed his whole life. Now think of this with me. Here's a guy going nowhere, frustrated. Yeah, but 
is salvation then finding a good career? What about the person who's a Christian who has penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and they work, I don't know, as a cashier at Taco Bell? Have they failed? Are they not worthy? Are they not doing the will of God? Is there something wrong with that? And he takes out his pen, and he just puts the word accounting. Accounting. One word on, let's say, a Monday night, and it winds up transforming his professional career. It changes the legacy for his children, because he could then send them to college. He had an entire change of his life because of one single little word that he writes on his schedule. Yeah, um, wow, that's quite a powerful word on that powerful schedule. But what happens when he dies? You know, when he ceases to be an accountant anymore and ceases to be breathing? What happens to him then? That's how crazy powerful this thing of a personal schedule can be. A few years ago, I realized that my two grandsons were growing up really fast. And I felt like the speed of my own life and the amount of international travel that I do and the busyness of their lives was going to make deep connection with these two little boys increasingly unlikely. I've told you before, uh, I didn't have nurturing, affectionate parents. So I missed out on that whole thing. And if you think that's something, I had four grandparents who lived within 10 minutes of the house I grew up in. And I barely knew uh, any of the four of my grandparents. They just didn't come around and we didn't go there. And my grandfathers, when I would run into them, would confuse my name with my brother Dan's name. That's how little they knew us. Dan's three years older than me. And so I was reflecting on this and I was going, you know, didn't have much connection with my parents and I had no connection with my grandparents, and I I was like, that's not cool. I've been very connected with Todd and Shauna, and I want the connection to go through to my grandchildren as well. So I had a little talk with Shauna and Aaron, and I said, if it's okay with you, because you're the parents, you know, it's your deal, but if it's okay. Yeah, I, I would say this, is that God's word clearly reveals for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are justified and declared righteous by faith in Christ, that God wills for them to be good parents and good grandparents. This is clearly spelled out in God's word as his will for us. Um, but the power for that is not going to come from a, you know, a, a calendar. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit through the word of God. Okay, with you, I'd like to find a spot on my calendar so I'm not hit and miss with these little boys. And they thought it was wonderful. So I wrote on my calendar a couple years ago, little boys, Saturday morning for about an hour and a half. So I started this tradition. I pick them up on Saturday mornings. I take them out to a breakfast. We go to a car wash. While the car is being washed, we play pinball because that's very important preparation for college, you see. <laughs> and then I take them to the care center and we sit in front of the care center in our car and we pray for people without jobs who have to come to our church and get groceries from our church and then we thank God for the church 
And it's a really precious time that we have together. So this has been going on for two years now. And I have this transformed relationship with these two little boys. I know their names. I know a lot about these kids. I know the names of the Ninja Turtles and the superheroes. We know a lot about each other, you see. Now, I'm saying, what changed all that? More prayer, more wishing, more hoping that my relationship with them would get closer? No, no. I simply wrote one word on my schedule in ink. This is not in pencil. If I'm in the country, this is... This is in ink. This happens every single Saturday morning. Such is the crazy power of recrafting your schedule and just putting certain words on it and then sort of living it out. Um, Crazy powerful. Now, hold that in a mental parking lot for just a moment. Let's change gears a little bit again. If you want to have some fun sometime, study the life of Jesus and try to figure out what his schedule was. What was his weekly schedule? When did he pray? How often did he pray? Where did he pray? How much rest did he get? How often did he cycle back to his family of origin to connect with them? If you study it carefully, you can see the approximation of his schedule. Very interesting. Now, Luke 4.16 mentions one thing that Jesus had, not in pencil but in ink on his personal schedule. Do you know what it was? So Jesus kept a day planner. Luke 4.16 says this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, here it is, as was his custom. He wasn't flipping coins on the Sabbath day to see if he was going to the synagogue. He didn't have it in pencil so that every third week, maybe... It says, he went on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, in ink. Every once in a while, I think it's my job before God as your senior pastor. So you'll notice here, no gospel. This is you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, by this magically powerful thing called a schedule. And this is the thing that's going to radically just supercharge your sanctification, But it's not sanctification in light of the gospel. No, this is all law. All law. Now, here's the question I have for you. So you show up at Willow Creek uh, two Sundays ago, and this is the sermon that you hear. And you look at your life and you realize, wow, I, I haven't been effective at my time management, at my scheduling. And since the pastor is the one preaching this from the stage slash pulpit, um, this is clearly what God wants you to do, right? Well, have you measured? How have you measured up? Have you, well, you know, properly kept your schedule? Hmm? If, well, if you haven't, if you're not a good time manager, well, then what's this sermon doing? Making you feel guilty. Okay, so now you've, you haven't properly used this resource called time. You haven't used it perfectly. You're not really, you're not doing so well with it. What's the solution? Is it to repent, confess that you've fallen short? To hear that Christ bled and died for your sins of procrastination and lack of time management and things like that? 
Or is it, no, 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 you, you, th- I'm going to show you how to do this. You just fix this on your own. Don't, no need to mention the forgiveness of sins and Christ bleeding and dying for you. No, you just need to know that, you know, schedules, you know, t- day planners, regardless if they're electronic or paper-based, they, they are as powerful as the Lord's Supper, as a means of grace and of your sanctification. To ask you straight up, if any of you have as one of your goals in 2015 to be a deeper, stronger, more faithful follower of Jesus Christ, I need to remind you that being a consistent part of a weekly worship gathering is absolutely critical to your spiritual development. And if you haven't been coming to church, well, you know, is that a sin? Might be. What's the solution? Well, just start coming. You you need to do this. Law, 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 law. Where's the forgiveness of sins? It deserves a place, a steady place on your calendar, not in pencil, but in ink. And when you put it there in ink and you say, this is a commitment... No coins being flipped here. This is a commitment. Over time, you become a different kind of person. Oftentimes, brand new Christians, uh, quite frequently, quite frequently, right after baptisms, some brand new Christians will say, Hey, Bill, how serious should I take coming to church every week? And if I have the time, I give them the five reasons why I believe every single Christ follower should be at a worship gathering every single week. The first one is one I just gave to you. If Jesus, our leader, our savior, and our example, established that practice in his life, it was his custom in ink to be a part of the worship gathering every week, then we should follow his example. And can I just say it even less diplomatically? I think it's arrogant. I think it's arrogant for Christ followers to blow off worship services. I think it's careless. I think it's not following the example of Jesus properly. And it can lead down paths that you don't want to go. I, uh, I've heard this a thousand times. Someone will say, hey, do you recognize me? I go, well, faintly. Well, I used to come to Willow and and now I'm back. And I said, well, what happened in the intermediary time? And they go, you know, uh, I got off track. I said, how did you first start getting off track? Almost every single time. They say, well, you know, I stopped going to church, became hit and miss. And then I stopped hanging out with the friends at church that I used to and stopped reading my Bible. And then I hung out with a group of friends and went off on this path. And then I did this and then I did that. And all the time when they come back, you know, I I say, I'm so glad that you're back. Let's pray and ask God to forgive you for whatever happened back there. Then I look them right in the eye. And I go, would you humble yourself now and put your commitment to the worship gathering in ink this time? And just don't, don't go off that path. And go, oh yeah, I'll never do it again. The second reason I think everyone ought to go to church every week comes right out of Hebrews 10.25. It says, don't forsake the assembly, the worship assembling of yourselves together. Some people have done that. It's led to their ruin. Don't, don't let it be you. Third reason for never missing a church service is you never know when the Holy Spirit has something that's going to rock your world in a church service. 
You don't know what, when that's going to happen. You don't know when God's going to touch, when he's going to convict, when he's going to encourage, when he's going to inspire. You never know when that's going to happen. And you want to be in your seat believing that this might be the weekend when God's going to touch you in a significant way. I mentioned over the holidays that probably my favorite service in 2014 was the one where I preached with the anchor and we did God is the anchor for your soul. And then we passed out a couple thousand anchors for people who wanted God to be their anchor. You could feel the Holy Spirit's power rocking the room. And then we had baptism and hundreds of people got baptized. And what blew my mind is how many people stood there in their baptism towel and they said bill i'm so happy for what god did in my life today you know i found christ i got an anchor for my soul i got baptized and then they go and i almost wasn't gonna come to church today oh really really you don't know gang you don't know when god has something prepared just for you you don't mm-hmm. yeah boy pack your bags we're we're already on a guilt trip here you don't know when a musician's going to sing a song that's going to melt your heart you don't know when one of our drama people are going to do something that speaks just to you you don't know when the preacher's going to preach all law and no gospel either and you know tell you to basically uh, engage in behavior modification rather than true christian sanctification You don't know when a worship song is going to cleanse something in you. You don't know when a teacher is going to teach a passage that you're like, what did you have a video cam in my house this week? How did you know? Which is why you're just there every week. Um, Fourth reason why everyone ought to go to church. Every serious-minded Christian should never miss. Ada, 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 law, law, law. Um, Is it because you're going to preach Christ and him crucified for our sins? Is the example it sets. For your family, for your children, for your friends. I've told you my dad, when he was alive, you know, built many companies, global traveler and all that. Um, You know, maybe if you had some good news to proclaim to the people, they would actually be coming to church. Because they'd be comforted by the good news of what Christ has done for them. Rather than heavy-handedly giving in the law, which will just cause them to wither underneath it. By the way, the law doesn't have any, give you any power to obey it. None. Only the gospel does that. Uh, He turned over heaven and earth. If if there was one guy who had church written in ink, it was my dad. Despite the bigness of his life and the hurriedness of his schedule. And I have a brother, Dan, I've mentioned before. And uh, both of us had a little rebellious streak in us, if you could believe it. And if my dad would have had church in pencil... Or if my dad would have blown off church when he felt like it, flip coin, bad weather, you know, sports game coming, I'm going to blow it off. I almost guarantee you that our lives would have unfolded differently. When I went off to college, I was a thousand miles away from my hometown. Parents were around. I woke up the first Sunday morning when I was separated from my family. And I just went, I'm going to church. I don't know which one, but I'm going to find one and I'm going to go to it. And when I asked myself why, you know why it was? Because I respected and loved my dad so much. I was so impressed with the priority that he put on church 
He was the smartest guy I knew. So I was like, I'm going to do what the smartest person who I respect more than anyone else in the world did. I'm going to go to church every Sunday. And so I did. My college roommates and everybody laughed like crazy. You're going to what, Ivels? I said, I'm going to go to church. And I never missed the whole time. And it helped keep me on the track. And uh, I don't know what would have happened if I had gotten careless there. Moms and dads, listen to me. Your kids know if church is a priority. They know if it's pencil or ink. You could do that little test with them after church. Hold a pencil and an ink pen and say, which one do you think is true about how we treat church? And it makes a big statement when you have it in ink. Trust me. Fifth reason for inking in the weekend worship gathering has to do with blessing and encouraging others. Now, this one, you got to hang with me for a second. Church, I'll say. Now, I'm going to say this. I mean, some of the things he's saying, I mean, legitimately, I mean, these are some of the benefits of church. But notice what he's trying to get you to do. He's giving you the benefits as if there's, you know, this is the whiffums of what's in it for me. You need to obey. You need to keep a schedule. And here's why you need to you know, make a church in ink on your schedule. And, and it's all these whiffums. Where's the gospel? It, very simply, church, ready? Church is not only about you. Okay? I know it's a big thought. Just to try to let it, you know, find a place in your brain. Church is not just about you. Scores of time in the New Testament, we're told that when we go to the worship gathering, what we ought to be doing is looking for people with faint hearts so we can lift their spirits. We're supposed to cheer up the weary and greet warmly the people who got overlooked all week long or who were marginalized or or who came out of very tough situations all week long. And in part, what we're supposed to do with our discernment gifts and encouragement gifts and hospitality gifts is we're supposed to encourage and bless somebody else at the worship gathering. Now, that used to be a very tricky thing to do around here because we're such a large church. Nobody really knows who or how to encourage. But a few years ago, we began these section communities where we have all of these section gatherings and section villages uh, in the atrium and all throughout the auditorium with a section leader, a section pastor over every one of them. And the idea is when you're new to our church, you visit different sections because some sections are strange and you only need one visit there and you go... Wow, I think I'm going to move to a different section for a week. And then you go to another section. Then you go, they're all weird on the main floor. Maybe the mez level has some sane people. So you go to the mez, and if you wind up in the balcony, that's where it's all going on right. Am I correct, balcony? That's where it's all going on. So anyway, what you do is you visit sections until you find a section that you feel is, is a fit for you, Okay. And from that point on, you don't just occupy a seat in a section. It's not all about you. You do what the scriptures ask us to do at worship gatherings. Yes, we worship. We give God our best worship. Yes, we learn from God's word. And yes, 
We turn before and after services, particularly after services when we have these quick connects and we have these gatherings or meals are served for, for your section, and we walk into those situations to see if we can bless somebody else. And when you start doing this, friends... Which is probably a good reason to go to a smaller church. Yeah, by the way, the gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the body of Christ. I have no problem with that. But again, where's repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the proclamation of Christ crucified? This is all moralistic, therapeutic deism, not Christianity. You never know. You never know how God might use you to touch another person's life. Just before Christmas, I met a young professional guy whose company uh, uh, from the West Coast relocated him to Chicago. Uh, his church on the West Coast said, you ought to try Willow when you get to Chicago. So he came all alone the first time. He had no idea the size of our church, so he walks into a 7,000-seat auditorium and was so intimidated, he just about spun on his, on his heels and left. But he said, well, I'll hang in there. He chose a section to see. Yeah, notice, um, is he exegeting a biblical text? Preaching the word? No, this is all anecdotal stuff from his life and from the the lives of the people at Willow. What'd you do with God's word? Sit in, didn't know a soul. And someone gave him a little invitation that there was going to be a quick coffee connect. Ten minutes behind his section right after the service. So he's telling me this story. He goes, man, I don't, I didn't know if I wanted to do that, but I thought I'd take a risk. And so he goes to that little coffee connection there. And he said, I I got a cup of coffee and I stood there. And for about the first 30 seconds or a minute, nobody approached me. No one reached out to me. No one greeted me. And he said, it was really awkward. I thought, what should I expect? You know, nobody knows me in a church this size. Well, then a... Yeah, and it's weird. You, you would expect in a church that calls itself a church, even if it's a large church, that um, you know that the sermon time would be all about exegeting God's word and proclaiming what Christ has done for us. Apparently, not at Willow Creek. We continue. A couple of people saw that he was standing there by himself and used their discernment, just took a little risk, and they went up and they introduced themselves and they, he said it was his first time and he had just been relocated and so and then an older married couple he told me this an older married couple came and befriended him a little bit and said young man you look like you need a home cooked meal and they invited him to their house that very week and he went and they had a ball so this guy's saying bill i've only been in your church here for a few months and the people in my section feel like my family And he goes, I just want to thank you for this whole thing. So I want, I just want to thank you, Willow Creekers, who come to church realizing that it's not all about you. It's about God, we worship him. It's about his word, we learn from it. And then it's about serving and blessing and reaching out to others. This past week, if you noticed, maybe you didn't notice this past week, but some of us did. It was brisk. There was a a chill in the air, I believe. We had a project, an outdoor project that had to be done this past week. And we had to uh, contract it out. So four contractors from out of state were working outdoors all this past week. 
And uh, we, we tried to send some coffee and some food out for them. I stopped by a couple times to cheer them on and so. And yesterday when I had the little boys and we had been at the care center, I cycled back there to show the little boys what they're working on. And I had a prompting from the Spirit. So I got out of the car and, and I said to these guys, Thank, thanks again for working diligently in the, in the cold. And I want to invite you to church. Um, I know you're from out of state, and they told me they were going to just stay in a hotel over the weekend. And I said, would you consider coming to church maybe this weekend? And they're looking at each other like, no way. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I didn't get my hopes up very high. But uh, I said, well, you're, you're welcome to come. I gave them the service times, and I said, I'd like to invite you as my guest. As I was driving out, I thought if they come, maybe if only one of the four comes... And if that, one of those four out-of-state construction workers come and they come into this room and they sit down and nobody greets them, nobody reaches out to them, nobody blesses them in any way, that might be the only shot that the kingdom of God is going to get at one of those guys' lives, maybe ever. Yeah, if that's the only shot, then don't you want to make sure that every single Sunday you're proclaiming Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of our sins and our justification, calling people to repent of their sins and to be forgiven? We've had two passages, two passages. Ephesians 5, wrongly taught, Hebrews, you know, the the text regarding don't forsake the gathering of, you know, the believers. And a lot of anecdotal stories, but no no Jesus here. No Jesus at all. I mean, apparently anchors, you know, anchors have the power to, you know, sanctify people. And and so do schedules. Not God's word so much. Um, And, uh, you know, and, and personal anecdotal stories with a moralistic thing going on. But there's no power in this to affect the fruit of the Spirit at all. Do you realize what the stakes are is what I'm saying? Do you realize what the stakes are? Which is why we have to change the vision when we come to church. It's all about God. It's all about learning from His Word. And it's all about others. Others. If it was really about learning from His Word, shouldn't you be exegeting it and rightly handling it and proclaiming it? Others. You get it? Okay. Now, with the time that remains, and I'm going to move very quickly here, I'm going to give you some practical coaching how you can actually craft or recraft your schedule as you're moving into the new year. Because you know, Personal coaching on recrafting your schedule. I wonder what biblical text is going to use for that. You no, know, at the end, I'm going to challenge you all to put a new schedule together. So... With that challenge coming, let me just give you some steps, necessary steps, what it takes to put an effective personal schedule together for the new year. Step one, you must first answer the question, who do I most want to become in this coming year? Who do I most want to become? Again, we're not asking the what, what are all the things I have to get done? Wrong question. Bigger, better question. Who do I most want to become? A lot of right answers. A more engaged spouse, better leader at work, a less hurried or frenzied person, a healthier, more fit person, a better servant to the poor, 
a more biblically literate person, a better, better money manager. A better- Go with the biblically literate, because if you become a more biblically literate person at Willow Creek, you're going to realize you're, it's, Willow Creek is not helping you become biblically literate. Better friend of my friends, a married person. Anyone, anybody want to get married uh, this year? Uh, a sober person. That would be cool. But the list could go on and on, right? But this is what's true. You're going to be the same person a year from now until you clarify who you most want to become in the next year. Now, step two requires you to invest a chunk of your time into the activities or engagements that have the highest potential of helping you become that person that you want to become. And this requires ferocious intentionality. Not high IQ, but ferocious intentionality. You have to link up some activities that will help you become the person you want to become. So, this year, if some of you say, I want to be better connected to my friends. I want to be a better friend to my friends. If you don't put something on your schedule, you'll stay at the same level of connectedness with your friends. You'll be at the same level a year from now as you are right now. If you say, I'll email them more. I'll, you know, Facebook them more. Come up. So I was at this restaurant with the two little grandkids yesterday morning. And I'm trying to pay the bill. And the waitress comes over and she said, somebody paid your tab. I was like, yes, I'd like to order more food. Second helpings, please. And uh, so I said, well, who would that be? And they said, well, it was a group of people. Almost all, the, all of them left, but I think that guy was with the group. So I got up and I went over to the guy. He was a willow guy. I don't know him. And I said, did you really pick up the tab for my breakfast with the boys? And so he said, it was our joy. We split it up. It was our joy. And uh, very tenderly, very genuinely, the guy said, you know, willow has changed my life. And we have a Saturday morning small group at this restaurant. And he said, it's in ink. So his small group meets on Saturday morning at that restaurant. And he goes, we are so deeply connected as men. It's a men's group. He goes, we've become like brothers to each other. That level of connection just happens when you ink it in. And you do it every week. When we're trying to make family plans, we can't make any family plans on Thursday night. Because both Todd and Shauna, Shauna and Aaron, they have their respective small groups on Thursday night. So Lynn and I, you don't want to have a family gathering or do something together as a full family. And, and they'll just say, that's impossible. Because we have this inked in. It's not penciled in, it's inked in. And we do this every week. My kids have terrific friends. Because they've got it in ink. It's who they want to become, you see. Some of you say, I would like to become a better Christ follower or more biblically literate this coming year. Well, uh, there are ways you can do that. Remember, we keep talking about if you just put 15 minutes of reading the Bible in your chair, whatever chair you like in your house, 15 minutes. 15 minutes. I had a 70-year-old guy tell me last night, he said, of all the things I've done in the last couple of years, come to this church, volunteer, all the various things he does, he goes, nothing has been more transforming in my life than when I inked in 15 minutes a day to read my Bible. It's the most transforming thing. If you say, I'd like to do more learning about the Bible, these classes that we offer on uh, Wednesday night, 
are national caliber classes. Now, you don't have to come. But if you want to become a different person in 2015 and you don't change your schedule, you're not going to become a different person. If you keep doing the same things and expect a different result, you're what? Crazy. You're just crazy. So if you don't... These are some wonderful classes available. We have a new thing that's been operating underneath the radar called The Practice, and this meets on Sunday evenings in the chapel. Now, here's a, a, a new take on an old subject. This group of people that meets in the chapel on Sunday nights, they decide that they're going to meet for the purpose of putting their faith, hang on, into practice. They think a lot of people walk around with head knowledge and don't actually know how to translate the Christian idea into daily practice. And so what they do... Yeah, where's the... Yeah, man. Yeah, listen. Faith without works is dead. No problem with that. The issue here is, yeah, you're talking about biblical literacy, but... What I'm hearing is not actually leading towards any real significant, deeper understanding of indicative and imperative of God's word. Do on Sunday nights in the chapel is they put their faith into practice and they actually practice on each other and with each other. It's quite a concept. Something like that. Practice on each other? Doing what? Might be interesting to you. If you want to become a better spouse to your spouse, you say, hey, that's who I'd like to become in the new year. Why not a date night? You don't just date night. You'd be surprised what that's done for marriages or go to the marriage retreat. So again, all law, no gospel. If you've run afoul of these things, no need to repent and to be forgiven. Just, you know, go to these things and do these things and, you know, change and become a different person. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You bear the fruit of the spirit without the spirit that's coming up soon but ink it in is my point not pencil ink and you'll see some real changes happen for many of you god has stopped whispering to you about your money management he just stopped whispering to you about it he's shouting now okay and he's shouting in your ear that 2015 is the year that all financial insanity must end. You thought you were going to get it done in 2013. You didn't put anything new on your calendar. You were going to try harder in 2014, and you didn't put anything on your calendar, so it didn't really change in 2014. And after you saw what you did spending-wise in November and December, you woke up in January and you started to vomit. (laughs) You know, vomiting helps a little bit. It's not going to change 2015. So maybe it's time to humble yourself and do what almost 5,000 other Willow Creekers have done. They, at a Wednesday night class, they enroll in Financial Peace University. Now, here's a big statement I'm going to make. If you enroll in Financial Peace University for for several, it happens on Wednesday nights in sequence, I guarantee you at the end of those series of classes, you will have a different relationship with money. I absolutely guarantee you, you will have a different relationship with money. It's transforming. And if you think that your relationship with money is going to change 
and you're not going to put anything on your schedule that, that's going to help you change it, you're kidding yourself. You're going to be in the same mess, if not worse, a year from now. That's the crazy power of a personal schedule. If you're saying, you know, i got to do something about my health and fitness, don't put anything on the calendar. You'll just be here and take up a little more of your chair next. Yeah. So if you just don't put, you know, gym or fitness center or something somewhere on the calendar, well, uh, you know what's going to happen. Um, I think you kind of get the gist of this. So step one, who do you most want to become? That's between you and God. Step two, you need an engagement or an activity that will that you can put into your schedule that will help you become who you're trying to become. Step three, if at all possible, inject relationship into this change process. Get someone to do some of the... Now, are these steps found in the biblical text? Nope. This isn't even really the Franklin Covey system. Is this some kind of time management scheduling system, a goal-achieving system that Bill Hybels has concocted himself? Where did he get this? This stuff with you. You all know Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the one who falls down and has no one to help him up. Any time that you can grab someone else to do a change process with you, they will give you encouragement and accountability when you need it, and when they need it, you offer that to them, which is one of the powerful hidden weapons in a recovery program. The room's going to get real quiet now. Watch. Some of you need to get over an addiction in 2015. It's something that's wreaked havoc in your life for so long. And it's tearing your relationships apart. It's imperiling your vocation. It's destroying your life. Now, are you going to live with that all through 2015 and just let it continue to destroy your one and only life? Now, here's the deal. When you enter a recovery program or process, and we hold recovery classes every single Wednesday night, year-round recovery, you walk into a room and it's all anonymous, it's all, you know, cool. You're going to walk into a room and you're going to feel, you know, awkward the first time. And then there's going to be six or seven people sitting in chairs, and they're going to get up, and they're going to say, Hey, welcome. Welcome. We're here helping each other try to get over the same addiction you're probably trying to get over. So let's trust God, and let's link arms together and beat this thing in 2015. Let's do this together. Now, so who's doing the beating? We are. Can we hear anything about what Christ has done and what he's beat and defeated for us? I mean, this is moralistic, heavily moralistic, therapeutic deism. I mean, yeah, God's mentioned, you know, and he, there's a lot of God talk in this sermon, but not biblical theism in in the truest sense of the word. This is just moralistic, therapeutic deism and life change and life transformation for the one and only life that you've got. Well, actually, we all live for eternity. Why aren't we hearing about repentance and the forgiveness of sins? We're hearing about 
therapeutic behavior modification for better results in the here and the now. <clears throat> we continue. If you, if you do this, every person in your life is going to be on their knees giving thanks to God that you're in recovery. Because as hard as it is to live as an addict, it's so much harder to live with an addict. It destroys people. And you could walk in to a room, put that on, ink it in on your calendar, and 2015 would be your, <laughs> it would be your year of freedom. Now, step four, and then we'll be done. You've got to revisit your true motivation for whatever it is you're trying to become, whatever change you're trying to make. For you to live out a new crafted schedule, putting some new cool stuff in, for you to live that out for more than 30 days, you are going to have to ask, ask and answer the why am I doing this again question. Why am I doing this? And you've got to be clear about why you're doing it. It's got to be clear and you've got to feel it to your gut, okay? A friend of mine who never took his health disciplines seriously had a heart attack in his mid-30s. It almost killed him. Very, very close. Once he recuperated, he became a health nut. He eats bird seed and tree bark. He runs seven days a week. Guy's a maniac, okay? I was kidding about it the other day. I was like, you're a maniac. <laughs> and uh, he said, Bill, let me tell you why I continue to do this. He said, when I was literally at death's door on that table in the hospital after my heart attack, my 11-year-old daughter came to visit me. She stood by my bench. She said, I love you, Daddy. I love you. Don't die, Daddy. Don't die. Get better, Daddy, because someday I might get married, and I want you to walk me down the aisle. Right on the bed, the guy said, I made the decision. If I can ever get on my feet again, I will never abuse my body again, ever in any way. And he hasn't. And when he's that's great. I mean, he's now sinless, right? <clears throat> Does he need a savior anymore? Man, this all sounds like oh, look at all of this this personal life transformation. Where's Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the means of grace and the Word of God? What role does this play in any of this transformation? All of these stories can be told. And they're actually, they do, these stories do happen to unbelievers who go to therapy and rehab and have a brush with death, just like this guy at Willow Creek. You know, they decide they're going to finally pull it together and lose the weight and do the thing and become healthy. And, and now they're going to be able to walk their daughter down the aisle. That's, that's a great thing to be able to do. Not knocking it, but after your daughter's married. And the grandkids, you know, come and they're growing up. And as you start to get old, it doesn't matter how well you treat your body, you're still going to die. Where is eternity in this sermon? Tempted to these days? That daughter isn't married yet. And so he's just like staying really careful because he knows what his motivation is. He wants to be alive for his daughter's wedding. I talked to a young guy recently who's become an excellent money manager. 
pays cash for his cars, carries no debt, has savings and investments. He gives the full tithe back to God of all of his earnings. Yeah, but does he trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of his sins, or is he trying to earn his way to heaven and earn justification by his good works? When I asked him why he's so motivated in this, in this area, he said, Bill, I grew up in a financial nut house. He said it was just absolutely crazy-making. Evictions, cars repossessed, bankruptcies. And after my family got thrown out of an apartment and I was literally standing on the sidewalk while they were taking the furniture out, I just said, that's it. My life is going to unfold differently with regard to my relationship with money. That's great. I'm glad that you're not committing the sins of your parents. Do you trust Jesus? He bled and died for you and for the sins that you've committed in your life? He swore to God. His motivation was, I, I'm never going to let that happen to me or my family if, I, if God ever gives me one. So when I asked him, how does he stay motivated? He said, I stay on the financial wagon because, you know, all, the way I do it is all I have to do is remember the nut house. And I'm never going back. And that's motivation enough. Gang, figure out what's your why. What's your why of who you're trying to become, this kind of person? For some of us, the why is we want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant, well done. For others of us, we want to walk our kids down an aisle. So I'm not going to hear God say, well done, unless I clean up my act. So I'm saved by my works. I'm justified by how much therapy I engage in to live a great temporal existence here and now. And those of you who just can't get your act together, you'll never hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you instead hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you? Where is the cross in all of this? For others of us, we don't want financial insanity of our past to be repeated in the future. We all have our motivations. You've got to know yours well. Now, Uh, It was two years ago, as I said, that I taught for the only time I've ever taught on the power of a schedule. And since that message two years ago, I've had a nonstop flow of communications from people who are kind enough to tell me how it's worked for them. Like the Willow couple who were on the edge of divorce when they heard me give that first message on uh, schedule. And they prayed about it as they were both crafting their new schedule and they, they were in trouble. And they said, why don't we go to marriage counseling? Let's put it in ink for several months, marriage counseling. They wrote to me recently and they said, two words on a piece of paper saved our marriage. They're reconciled now, families functioning well. Whenever I see them and their three kids, I just go, that's the power of a recrafted schedule. Two words saved their marriage. Uh, there's a cynic that I knew who was around Willow for a long time. Was bound to, he loves Willow, just never wanted to become a Christian. Figure. You, you go figure. So anyway, uh, he hears about Alpha all the time, and so he decided he's just going to ink in and go tell the Alpha people they're all out to lunch. You know, God's not for real and all that. So he just plugs Alpha in, and he goes, and it's real bumpy for a while, And then near the end of the first Alpha class, the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of this guy. He gives his life to Christ. We baptized him recently. And I was thinking, you know, after his baptism, his whole life and eternity was altered by one word on his personal schedule. Anybody need to become a Christian this year? Put alpha, one word, and then go there. See what God does. One final story, then we'll be done. This very busy willow dad that I've known for a long time. So the final story, like most of this sermon, has nothing to do with any of the stories from Scripture. I warned him about his busyness. He's a workaholic, and he blew his marriage up as... I was trying to warn him about, and his wife finally had enough. She filed for a divorce. She blew out. They had one daughter together. And he heard me give this message about crafting a new schedule. And he was very repentant about blowing up his marriage. But he had bruised the relationship with his daughter so badly, he thought she was probably out of his life forever. And during my message on the power of a personal schedule, he put in, Daddy... Daughter, date night. D-D-D. Daddy, daughter, date night. Three little letters, okay? Talk to his former wife and see if she'd buy in. And he started taking this daughter out. And over time, he's rebuilt that relationship with his daughter. So much so that they went to Camp Paradise together this summer, had an outrageous time. And then he took her to the daddy-daughter dance last spring. And when I see this guy walk around with his daughter and his arms around her. And so it just brings me to tears. Because it all gets traced back to one schedule with three D's on it. Daddy, daughter, date night. It doesn't get traced back to your crucified and risen Savior. It traces back to a word in your schedule. This is the near crazy power of a freshly crafted personal schedule. So, of course, uh, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do a thoughtful and prayerful recrafting of your personal schedule. I'm asking you, every single one of you, to do this. Get in a quiet place and raise your hands to heaven and say, God, guide me. God, give me wisdom. Who do you want me to become? And what activities do I need to plug in? And what do I need to let go of? It can be one of the holiest endeavors you can put your hands to doing. Yes? Okay, let's stand for closing prayer. Done. Wow. What a tragic mess. Adventures and missing the point. Moralistic Therapeutic deism is not the same thing as Christian sanctification. It is chameleonic in the sense that it looks a lot like it. But, see, the reason Christian does good works is for very different reasons than somebody who is engaging in moralistic, therapeutic deism. One has to do with repentance and being forgiven, and bearing fruit in keeping with that repentance. The other is, well, need better results. And I, of course, I want to hear God say on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's not going to say that unless, you know, I start 
applying the magical powers of a schedule and and can trace back the life change in my life to the word or words that I wrote in my schedule. Whereas the Christian, the penitent believer in Jesus Christ, traces everything back to their bleeding and dying Jesus who conquered the grave, had victory over the devil and death itself, all for us and reconciled us to the Father. See, the one who kept his schedule perfectly was Jesus, and he did it for you because you can't and you don't, and you need to be forgiven. You need to be rescued. You need to be saved. All of this that Bill Hybels preached, you don't need a crucified and risen Savior for that. You don't even need an in-context Bible verse or to rightly exegete a passage. No, you can do this mostly without any biblical texts at all. Some, you know, testimonial stories of life change. A little bit of arm-twisting, you know, maybe guilt-tripping. But crucified and risen Savior? No, you don't need it for this. In fact, somebody who's a pagan can apply the power of the schedule to their life and miraculously experience transformation in their life, all without faith in Jesus. And it wouldn't matter a bit on the day of judgment because they remain penitent, impenitent, unbelievers. They do not believe in Jesus. Yeah, anybody can do this. Christian sanctification... There's no way to do it apart from Christ. Man, what a mess. Adventures in missing the point, indeed. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>